Hello everyone, and welcome to The Good Lawyer Show. I'm your host, Matt Scrivens, and alongside me is Good Lawyer's CEO and co-founder, Brett Colvin. On the show this week, we are excited to welcome Joel Shackleton. Joel is a portfolio manager at Gold Investment Management and half of the talent on the Reform Millennials podcast, which aims to keep you up to date on the latest trends and events shaping our world so that you can better invest your time and money into things that actually matter. Honestly, Reform Millennials has fast become one of my favorite podcasts. Not only do they do a great job of keeping you informed, but they actually have high quality, interesting Canadian content, which I don't think I need to tell any of you is not always the easiest to come by. During our conversation on the show this week, we discuss investing in everything from tech companies to startups. Joel gives us his take on why we're seeing skyrocketing valuations for some tech companies and why he believes Tesla's stock is overvalued. And I know that's going to upset some of you muskies out there. He also discusses some of the investing strategies he uses to evaluate startups and gives us some of his favorite resources he uses to keep himself informed. If you do need investment advice, please do check out Joel and I will link to his bio in the show notes. I have actually been meaning to get my meager investment fund into his hands for the past couple months, but what can I say, I'm a bit of a procrastinator. On a final note, make sure you're keeping up to date with all things Good Lawyer by subscribing to our excellent newsletter, which is a weekly summary of stories relevant to small business owners in Canada, and also includes links to both our recent Good Lawyer webinars and our latest promotions. To sign up, simply visit our website at goodlawyer.ca and enter your email address in the sign-up form. It's really that simple, and you are guaranteed to get entertaining and useful news, which, come on, who couldn't use a bit more of that, right? Well, I'm out of breath, and that means it's time to start the show. So without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode with Joel Shackleton. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Man, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Right on. So where are we finding you today? Where are you coming to us live from? Live from my home office in Edmonton. Um, right on. Things are beautiful up here. We got a, a nice sun shining 22 degrees. It seems as though summer's ending, but uh, we're getting a good send off. So. Winter's coming, my friend. Yes, it is. I, I lived in Edmonton for a long time, so it, I know it never leaves. <laughs> it just stays. Oh, uh, it feels that way, you know, like when you have, when you get to mid February and you're just like, man, how is it 2025 yet? Like, <laughs> it's just sometimes you just cannot believe how cold and how long it can stay cold for. But that's true. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get a bit of a longer uh, fall, but everything going on this year seems to be breaking the wrong way. So I don't know if we can anticipate any luck till at least 2021, but are, are you, you're working from your own home office, you said right now, but are you back in your regular office for your day to day job or how's that working for you? Um, yeah. So um, kind of on a 50, 50 basis, I'm back in and out depending on what clients want, um, what our trading team needs, what, uh, whether or not our investment committee is meeting inside or whether or not we're going to be doing it on zoom. So whatever works for staff and, um, and clients is what I'm kind of leaning towards. If they're comfortable with that, I'm happy to, to oblige. If they're not, I uh, do zoom or teams or whatever. And uh, we work from there. It's been um, quite frankly, been quite the boon for my business in terms of uh, it's really helped me out just from 
being a married man in their thirties, it's helpful to be able to be around as much as you possibly can and then also help out in so many different ways. So I've been, I've loved it. Um, it's hard to say that, but it's been a really great change in pace and further to that point, it's been a real benefit for, um, having the right size of office and, uh, perhaps not needing as more space and, we'll see how that continues to evolve moving forward. But yeah, we're, I'm about 50, 50, I'd say 50% of our office is back. And uh, so we're, we're kind of, we're, we're evolving as a, as the situation evolves. And maybe, maybe I can just jump in and then get you to explain just a little bit about what it is you do exactly. Cause right. um, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of money and a, and a lot of different uh, entrepreneurs of all sorts of shapes and sizes. So maybe you could just, Tell the listeners what Mr. Joel Shackleton does. Uh, okay, so I'm um, I work at a an independent investment management shop, and I'm a portfolio manager and a wealth advisor. So I work with a wide range of clients. So we have a few pension clients, uh, a few ultra high net worth clients, and then more specifically for me individually, I work with a lot of professionals. Um, a lot of oil and gas services businesses, and then uh, just so happens to work with like a lot of um, influencers or people that have made their money on YouTube, Instagram, um, and those sorts of uh, mediums. So those are, are my the three influencers niches. in Edmonton. Um, all across Canada. Okay. Uh, one in one in the United States, but um, yeah, generally speaking, they're all. Uh, you know what is great about influencers? They know exactly how to use um, Zoom. They know how to use Teams. They know how to use email. They're fantastic with technology. Um, they're always willing to learn. They're um, incredibly high energy. So it's been nothing but um, a great experience working with them. But um, not, that's not always the case with everybody else, right? So uh, it's been an area of our business that has grown quite a bit. But um, so yeah, on a day-to-day basis, I'm, I'm basically dealing either with, um, with individual client needs, I'm advising in whatever they require, we're building portfolios and um, investing. So well, that's really what I do on from a Monday to Sunday. And like the three segments that you just identified that you work with mostly um, in regards to your portfolio management, you know, I find those really interesting because, you know, you got the oil and gas, which, you know, I think isn't going anywhere immediately in Alberta, but without question is certainly on a downtrend. You've got, you know, a big group of professionals in the middle, which seems to me like, you know, pretty bread and butter. Like those are, those types of clients are going to be around forever. And then you have this totally new segment, which, you know, you can only imagine is going in the opposite direction of oil and gas in the future being, you know, online new forms of entertainment. That's, I mean, it's, it's true in terms of uh, how big the market share has become. So, I mean, obviously influencers, uh, the space has skyrocketed since 2012. Uh, basically, 2014, when Instagram kind of shot off, their influence also followed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I should come to the defense of energy because um, while, yes, oil and gas specifically, drilling, um, those industries have shrunk. Um mm-hmm. The market caps of those companies have shrunk. Um, a lot of the budget that has was there in the past isn't. That being said, the the the, the Albertan energy industry, while has been has gone through some difficult times, I would say that there's a plenty of of up and coming businesses that are doing really really well. So if you've been able to pivot, mm. to steal a term from tech, um, 
you've been able to do significantly better than your peers. So there are opportunities here and working with those that are capable of taking advantage of government programs, um, being able to see the future for what it is mm-hmm. and then um, and, and adopting. Um, I have a few clients that have actually done terrifically in that space and they've actually been able to uh, take advantage of like an orphan wells project, um, mm. things along those lines where it's not traditional drilling, but they've been able to innovate, adapt, and then, and pivot. So I have to, I have to defend. Exactly. And you know what us as service providers, professionals in the middle, um, thank God they are Mm -hmm. because we need them just as badly. We need them just as much as they need everybody else is just as much as we need energy. So I'm happy that, uh, well, yes, it's been trying. And the last, I mean, the last four years has been incredibly difficult when compared to 2004 to 2014, <laughs> when everything was literally out of control. Yeah, yeah. All you have to yeah do is- the expectations were, you know, on yeah. like an uncontrollable trajectory. Yeah, it was, we were, we were China, you know, we were growing at 8% a year, like things were booming. <laughs> All you had to see was what, what was 2004 the stampede like? And then yeah. go to 2015. It was insane, right? Yeah. So, um, you know what? Back to reality. Mm-hmm. Um, all good things come to an end, yeah. or at least they change. So, well, it is it is crazy how how dramatically they have changed. Because I still remember. I think it was in 2007, 2008, uh, watching you know CNN or something like that, and then legitimately talking about. Uh, oil being $200 a barrel. Like they were worried that it was going to go to 200 and to see how that it was, uh, what a couple months ago that it, it was actually negatively valued. I mean, it just defies reasoning. And to your point, uh, you know, in Alberta, especially where we have been uh, traditionally a fairly heavy natural resource dependent economy, seeing that type of swing is, uh, you know, through, through a few, uh, sticks in the spoke so to speak <laughs> yeah did ever but that's great to hear that some uh, some of these companies are adapting and able to find a way through this even even though uh, it is challenging circumstances oh yeah you know what resilient people always push through yeah and that's it's, right it's it's clear you know you, you can you can almost pick those people out um of a of a pile of people and if you ask three questions you can see which ones are going to win they're just uh, they're different you know right yeah. So uh, sh- shifting gears a, a touch here, we being a tech startup in, in the legal space, uh, but we, you know, through COVID and, uh, and everything else, we've seen some interesting uh, developments, especially in the stock market and with some of these bigger tech companies where their valuations have really skyrocketed and, and they've really seemed to just be adding um, you know, they just been, seem to be growing in leaps and bounds. Like obviously Zoom, the technology that we're using for this podcast is one example of that, but there's so many others, obviously Amazon, uh, Facebook, some, some of these others. What, uh, what's your read on that? What, what's going on with tech companies? Is that something that just the bigger companies are experiencing or is that something that you're seeing throughout the economy uh, with tech companies in general? Is it mental? <laughs> yeah, that was my next question, yeah. Um, this thing is incredible. It's been so much fun to watch, but, um, and, you know, participate in, but so from a valuations perspective, this is, it's, it's more nuanced than people are giving it credit for. So in my opinion, it's, it's incredibly easy for people to attach to a, um, a catalyst and blame that. So like right now we're, we're, 
effectively saying COVID is the reason why everything is happening and um, valuations are going mad because of that. But in reality, it's, it's, I think it's a little lazy to blame it on one thing. Um, the tech dislocation from, and when I say dislocation, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm speaking to the valuations. So if you have a, a Tesla that's trading at a thousand times earnings or a, <laughs> um, a Facebook that's trading at 40 or an Apple that's trading at 40 or a, an Amazon that's trading at 130. And then you have a more traditional business like Clorox that's trading at 12. Um, right. That's the dislocation I'm talking to. Um, obviously, different businesses receive different valuations, but um, when you bring it back down to the most recent separation, um, back in 2015, 2014, or 2014 to 2016, Apple was trading at 12 times earnings. When you back out the cash, it was trading wow. at like eight. Um, wow. And, well, and you know, to the, the wonderful book that you encouraged me to read, The Outsiders, which has already been polished off. Great time for Tim Cook to do the buybacks. Exactly. Perfect time to be buying back stock. I mean, right. during that 2013 to 2016, 2017, 2018, I mean, they're still buying back stock. During that entire time, everybody always pointed to the cash on their balance sheet, right? And they were, I mean, they were buying back stock with that. They would take out, they would, well, they would leave it in Ireland and then they would take, <laughs> they would take out loans because they can borrow money at lower interest rates than the government can basically. And they would then buy back their stock with that. So they were buying their stock at eight to 18 times earnings. And today it's at 40. Yeah. Tim Cook is one of the best investors on earth mm -hmm. because he was buying his own stock with his own money with borrowed money and doing so at incredibly low valuations. And today, if he was smart and they don't need the cash, so I don't see this ever happening, but a equity raise would make a ton of sense. So, I mean, well, that's what Tesla's it. doing, right? A hundred percent. Correct. Yeah. A hundred percent. So well, and what um, was the, what was the earnings multiple for Tesla? Oh, it's changing every day. It goes up and down 25%. <laughs> like, yeah. like it doesn't even matter. Honestly, I, when you describe Tesla's earnings, it's, it's more important to um, really speak to not necessarily their earnings multiple because that's uh, it doesn't tell the story. And in, in reality, what you need to do is you, there's a lot to it, right? With, with Tesla, it's more nuanced than, okay, they make money or they don't make money <laughs> or like there's this or that, right? So it's I mean, more like investing in good lawyer. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's way different than that. You guys would be, um, you guys aren't leaning so heavily on the government for subsidies. Mm. So the way I like to explain why Tesla is um, a little bit stretched, um, where I won't actually make that same argument for a, a Zoom is because of just the growth in which they're experiencing or not or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And when you compare valuations, so you have, I'll, I'll, I'll give you three companies that are very similar in terms of size, very different business models, but very similar in terms of market cap. So you've got Tesla that's between, depending on the day, it's, been, it's trading between 340 and 440 in terms of billion dollars. Uh, you have Visa that's roughly about 420 to 450. And then you have Walmart that's 370 billion. So you have these four or three companies. And on a revenue basis, you have Tesla that does 26 billion a year in revenue. You have Visa that does 23 billion a year in revenue. And then you have Walmart that does 535 billion a year in revenue. So obviously there's a difference in businesses here, right? You have- uh, Margins. Yeah, margins, which are incredibly important to understand. So Visa gets this incredible revenue multiple because why? Well, it has a 51% margin. It makes 51 right. cents net profit margin is 51 cents on every dollar that they bring Jeez. in. That is a printer. 
Yeah. Then you have a Walmart that makes three cents, but they're making three cents on $535 billion. Right. And they're, yeah. I mean, sure, they're only growing at whatever, three to 8% a year. Um, Visa is growing at a better clip than that, but roughly 10. And then you have a Tesla that actually had a negative 5.1% growth rate quarter over quarter on last earnings. So back all of that out. So you have Tesla that has a $26 billion in revenue. A large piece of that is government subsidies, by the way. Right. Mm-hmm. So they get a huge piece. So they beat earnings by 2.1 billion or something like that, or they, whatever it might've been last last quarter. And then it's like, we greased one extra subsidy this quarter. Oh, like a ton. <laughs> and most of all of actually of all of those earnings, all of it was from the government, not just the United States, but the Chinese government, European subsidies, all of those things combined, combined to them actually making money. If they didn't have those subsidies, they lose money. But right. to back, to get back to profit margins, if you were to guess if they did 2.1 billion in, in, in profit, um, what's their profit margin on their cars? Well, it's negative, isn't it? In well, my understanding. When, like, when you back out the, the subsidies, it's negative. Right. But with the subsidies, it's one cent. So <laughs> one cent per dollar. <laughs> no well, way. It's worse than Walmart margins. So they'd wow. have to effectively in, increase their revenue by 20x. They have to sell 20 times as many cars. So that would be about 40% of the cars sold in order for them to be at the roughly the same revenue as Walmart with worse margins. So if we just think that Walmart is a car company or Tesla is a car company, it makes no sense. Right. That's where you get into this, where we we get back to your original question, where we we talk about um, the multiples in tech companies. So the rest of the world has kind of come to this, I don't know, this conclusion that technology companies most specifically are being pulled into the future. Their, their valuations are justified. Mm-hmm. We are changing our lives drastically. The last 10 years, we were seeing these, these, this evolution of trend where you have a slack that is growing really quickly. You have a teens that's growing really quickly. You have a, even um, zoom was growing really quickly square. You have all these fantastic companies, lemonade, all these tech businesses that are stealing market share, but they're doing it at a slow pace. But then COVID happens and it kicks it into overdrive. It's like adding NOS to a, a supercar. Right. Um, and this pulls all of our, our, the past trends into the future. And, and, and it, it starts to justify these crazy valuations. But what people need to also understand is that the difference between now, today, and 2000 is quite drastic. And right. the big institutional investors are important to, you need to understand what their goals are. So they need to hit a seven, eight percent bogey so that they can pay their their pensioners, right? right. You have a you have a pension fund that needs to pay for uh, a teacher to retire from sixty to ninety five years old. Well, that's a lot of responsibility, and you need to make seven percent a year on their money in order to do that. And back in two thousand, you could buy a ten year treasury, like a U.S. treasury, risk free, and it was six percent yield. Wow. Today it's zero point seven. Yeah. So where is all this money going, right? You have all of these pension managers, all of these big institutions. This isn't, these aren't day traders pushing the valuations up. This mm-hmm. is big institutions needing to find um, areas for yield. So, so, so do you think it's the institutions then that are really uh, a catalyst to this overdrive that we're seeing? Yes, is that what I'm, that's what I'm understanding? Absolutely. I, I think it's both for sure. Um, when you see an illiquid company shooting up, that's not institutional. But big tech, like you have to 
like when you look at Amazon, or Amazon and, and, and Apple and they've increased two trillion in market cap. I know. That isn't yeah. Robin Hood. Totally. <laughs> but is Tesla more like Robin Hood? Yeah, probably. But like, again, which makes a, a lot of sense why Musk, Musk is getting, you know, raising the round right now. Well, yeah, of course, right? So now, again, we're, we go back in reverse a little bit here and you, you, we, we talk about out, the Outsiders book and you, and you reference the, the, the way in which a good CEO uh, manages money. And when, you're, when you believe that your stock is overvalued and there is zero argument to say that Tesla isn't, I don't care who you are. I don't care whether or not you've actually been on Mars and seen the gold that they're going to mine. I don't care. There is no justification for its multiple right now. You raise money. And mm-hmm. right now, I used to be somebody, the only way to short Tesla was pre-split at $200 a share. Because at that point, they legitimately had a liquidity constraint. But now they can raise money for free. Their cost of capital is zero. They can do whatever the hell they want. They have all of these fervent, like, diehard fans that will give Elon money forever trying to yeah. break the barrier of, of, of autonomous vehicles. And, and fantastic. EV, all that stuff is great. Yeah. Um, but his cost of capital is zero. His stock is way too high. And he's borrowing money or he's going to issue more stock because it's worth so much and he's going to increase his runway, right? Like if people wanted to invest in good lawyer at a $20 billion valuation, you'd be selling all your stock right now. It would be gone. I'd, I'd, be, oh, I'd be open to some offers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so then it sounds like, uh, cause the one thing that I was seeing is like, it seemed like, yeah, that there was obviously excitement around the technologies themselves as you just uh, eloquently elaborated on there. Uh, but also there seems to be a marketing element to this as well, that people seem to want to be part of Apple, part of Tesla, part of Amazon, like those are the winners. And maybe, uh, and again, I'd like your perspective on this. Maybe people aren't using their financial brain to make these decisions, but more like in the same way that I like wearing, you know, Nike shoes, people might be picking Tesla stock out of like the same type of principle. Do you think that that's a factor or not so much? No. I want to, can I, I want to tack one thing on that, John, to that too is how is Tesla defensible against the, the other big car guys? Apart from Great having question. like the superstar Elon leading the yeah. charge and having, you know, an army of like fervent supporters. But apart from that, apart from the Elon factor, how is Tesla defensible? It's not. Um, no, but I should I shouldn't say that because they're right now at their current market cap size. They are the behemoth. So, capital costs are the it's the biggest advantage that they have now, in addition to brand. So you look at a their competitors like BMW, Ferrari, Volkswagen, Porsche. Um, all of these car companies, Mercedes that are coming out with fantastic looking yes. EVs in very competitive price yes. ranges. Um, to me, it seems like it's a no brainer that this would be competitive, but they can't raise money at the same price that Elon can. Um, so with that, that is defensible. I do believe their batteries are better, at least for now. Um, they used to have, or it was assumed that they had an eight year head start. I would guess that it's like six months now, nine months. Um, a lot of that is contracting. I think that the past narrative is gone. Well, but with that being said, where they've gained is they've went from like a cost of capital of eight or 9% to effectively being bankrupt. They were raising their bonds were trading at 60 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar. Um, now they can raise $5 billion, like nothing. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so that is their biggest, his biggest win. So um, he could go in and buy Volkswagen and, inev- and immediately have a 30% or 20% market, ca- market share. Like he literally could. And um, what's to say he won't? So um, I, I can't, you cannot, you cannot um, short cult stocks. Never do it ever, mm-hmm. ever. Don't even, for me, I won't even get involved in it. Um, I love to follow it. I hate the fact that I've attached myself from a, like a prediction point of view to thinking it's going to not win. I just don't like snake oil salesmen. Um, I, I, I live in the financial industry and, um, I talk to lots of them and, uh, while it's, you need them to, to push forward big ideas with that being said, I hate how many times that you see people lose their, their money because they believe in something like this, right? Like we work. Like we work, exactly. Yeah, yeah. watching that thing crumble, you were just like, how does this happen? Yeah, how do, how do you get these people on board to provide that kind of capital? It's a castle in the sky, man. The theory yeah. of castle in the sky, like that's exactly what, nobody is a better castle in the sky construction manager than Elon <laughs> Musk. Totally. And you know what? I don't see any reason why he's gonna lose. He's on a roll and the guy's invincible. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't think there's a, a day where this, the music stops? No, I think it does. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think their cars are any good, but, <laughs> but with all that being said, it's like, it's a car company, Ben Steele. There's no margins in it. There's yeah. no reason for them to go from a 2% to a 30% market share. I don't see how that's possible. I mean, yeah. maybe there's, there's a, a world in which there's a fleet of Teslas out there that is driving everyone around. Maybe that's a thing. But my guess is that we live somewhere between that utopian re- um, life that he, he believes is going to happen and reality. We'll probably find ourselves somewhere in the middle. Right. And um, the people that think that that's justified at a $400 billion market cap because they're <laughs> it, inevitably yeah. going to every ride we're going to take is in a Tesla. It's going to become Uber, but better. <laughs> All of those things, well, unlikely, probably yeah. somewhere in the middle. And it's probably three times as far away or 10 times as far away as they assume. Right. So right now, froth is bubbling over. So don't, uh, so I'm guessing you wouldn't discourage people from investing in tech uh, companies, just, just caution, maybe a bit more prudence than what we're witnessing at the moment. Absolutely. I think that, I mean, you look at the, the upcoming IPO market and it's hot. There's yeah. so much, so much cool stuff coming out right now. Um, and there's so many great opportunities. I think that there's a lot of like addressable, total addressable markets that are increasing um, significantly that you can justify certain multiples. You can justify a runway that they, they are currently getting with their, 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 their multiples. I think that that is, that is available for investors. I mean, I don't want to attach, I just don't think that Tesla is the greatest example of that. So yeah, absolutely. Great. There's great opportunity. I think the NASDAQ's probably a little bit overvalued right now when, if you were to break out all hundred companies, but um, if you're going to look at individual names, there's, there's tons, there's mm-hmm. many, many uh, very uh, great looking businesses, you know? So, well, and I just like to ask, um, about one of the upcoming IPOs, because, you know, this is a story that I followed closely and was one of the first ones I read when I got into the, the startup headspace and, you know, kind of inspired sort of the early days of Good Lawyer. What do you think about the Airbnb IPO given 
yeah new world that we're in oh my god i i i think that the best i don't i can't remember which company was it silver lake that went in and saved them in april so they remember when they had to they had to lay yep. off a thousand people yeah or 2000 great letter people? he wrote a great letter actually i Their really CEO? appreciate what he said yeah and when yeah. he had to do that he did that in a in a in a way that i thought was uh direct fair and about made as the best of the situation as you could under very difficult circumstances. Yeah. So they, so one of the, the venture firms came in and I think bailed them out with one or $2 billion at, and they got to, I believe they got to invest in, I don't know, I, I want to say a 60% drop in valuation from their most recent uh, uh, round, which is obviously just a fantastic opportunity. If you got, you got the name, the liquidity, and availability of cash and your ability and you're able to get into a company like um, Airbnb. Amazing. So April, if you were able to buy that, which I'm guaranteeing no one listening to this was um, one of the greatest value investments that you could have made because right now pre COVID Airbnb was hot and it was, I think it was doing maybe two thirds of the revenue of, of Marriott. Now it's doing more Jeez, really? literally. Oh my God. It is booming. I don't know if you've tried to boom or to book anything on there, but it's difficult. Everything is it really? Oh, I, you yeah. know, we're, I was just about to do that and uh, I anticipated that it would be easy, but uh, clearly I'm, uh, I'm a little mistaken on that. <laughs> no, it's um, busy. Prices yeah. are changing dramatically. If you have a plan for an, uh, a vacation next summer, book it now. Um, wow. because prices are, we, we were looking for something in June of next year and the price per night tripled in over a week. Oh. So these, so just to come back to Airbnb, when that goes public, I mean, obviously it'll be value or it will be market cap dependent, see where it's, where it's looking, whether or not it's too frothy or what, or what have you, but I'm very interested in it. I think that it's just such a fantastic opportunity. It's an amazing innovation. It utilizes an asset that wasn't utilized before. I mean, that's what Uber did, right? Mm-hmm. You have a car that sits dormant for 98% of a day and then you use it and they're making use of that asset. Your house, I mean, I'm sitting in my home office. My wife's at work. I have a pretty regular house. I'm using roughly 10% of it. Um, if you have the ability to, let's farm out your home and make more revenue that way and improve the, 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 the vacations of others and um, to make it more accessible to more people because it's cheaper for them. And it's just, it's a better experience for them. This is a win, 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 win. It's just, to me, this is a, a pie. The, the, the travel pie is increasing. It's a, it's a, it's a positive sum space that I think is going to grow in the top three of sectors for the next 10, 10, 15 years. And I think Airbnb is going to be one of the, one of the companies that benefits from it the most. There you go. For sure. Uh, Brett, any other questions before we switch gears? Cause I do want to chat with you about uh, investing in startups, something that is near and dear to my heart, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, of course it is, Matt. Um, I think this is a perfect segue, you know, talking okay. about um, Tesla and, how you know selling the dream is really what's bolstering that valuation um, more than anything else, which has led to the ability to raise capital super cheap, mm-hmm. and then Airbnb and how they're really like creating net new value through a platform. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think this is a great segue, man. So 
All right. So let me, uh, let me shift gears here and I'm going to, I'm going to put a question to you, Joel, and this is completely hypothetical, of course. So, so don't, don't read anything into this, but, um, uh, let's say a friend of, of yours, let's call him B Colvin. Actually, sorry, that's, that's too obvious. Uh, we'll call him Brett C <laughs> comes to you and tells you that he has a, a legal tech startup and wants you to invest. Uh, how do you go about evaluating those types of opportunities? Because especially with COVID and everything, just like podcasts, we've seen a proliferation of startups where everyone who has, who has had an idea and now that they're uh, maybe have a little bit extra time on their hand uh, are taking some shots. And I, I know I've been approached several times and I'm sure you have as well with, uh, and so how do you go about when a friend or an acquaintance comes to you with a business idea, how do you go about evaluating something like that? Um, oftentimes people will go directly to valuation. How much do you want and um, how are you making money? And right. obviously that is an important question, but at the outset, that's not generally right. where I, I go to first. I want to understand where the, the founder or the team or the whoever's raising money is, is, uh, is where they see their market going. So I, I want to see what differentiates you. Why are you better than the solution that's currently being used by the market? Um, two, I need to know that there's a good team. So getting to know who's running it, is he the type of person that can go five years without any sleep, those sorts of things. It's, it's good to get a good understanding of um, getting a better understanding of uh, who was there before me. So investors that beat me to it, or perhaps got the opportunity first. Why is he coming to, to me? Uh, if they're so great, why are they using me? That's a, a question I want to have answered. And is it 10 times better? And I mean, obviously 10 X is it's subjective, but, is this new idea 10 times better than what's already there? Mm. And if it is, if, if they can answer all those questions, right, then we can start to talk numbers and start to look at, okay, what's your valuation? How much money do you need? What are you using this for? Um, those sorts of things. Right. We can, you could start to really dig deeper, but um, without, I don't know, giving away too much. It's, it's more so getting a feel for the idea. And um, my, before I like to get into anything, obviously from an angel investment perspective, I'm not necessarily, so I should give you my, I have a little bit of experience in this space. I'm uh, an LP in a few angel funds. Okay. I got my start out at 24. I was giving money. I, I lots of people have heard of um, angel list. Yep. Uh, that's where I got my start doing it. Nice. It was, it was, Two in the morning, I was surfing the internet. I'm a 24-year-old moron. <laughs> and um, I, I'm, I, I stumble upon AngelList and uh, I just ended up diving pretty deep into it. And that was kind of my, the start of things for me. I was, a, I was obsessive in that space. I, was, I loved Peter Thiel. At the time, I, had time I, I gave Jason Kalkanis a lot of rope. The guy was, uh, he wrote... And still, in my opinion, one of the best angel books out there. Uh, it's called Angel. Um, I can't. Re you guys should put throw in the in the yeah. in the show notes. But it is probably the best book to read if you're wanting to figure out how to inch your way into the space. Um, so, at 24 years old, I was able to get into become an LP in one of these tiny little angel funds, and then I proceeded to get involved in two more. And then very recently, let's say the last three to 
one to three years, I've uh, invested some time and some money into some more family and friends projects mm-hmm. that have either been terrible or really great. Uh, <laughs> well, so, think, yeah, that's kind of the nature of the beast though, isn't it? And I think yeah. something that if you are thinking about getting into this space, know that there is like, you know, you have the expectation that I, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know this better than me, but you know, one out of 10 companies, you know, one or two out of 10. And, and that's one out of two out of 10, not taking flyers on 10 that's doing your research and believing in 10 and one one or two out of those 10 will be actual hits so i'll i'll use josh wolf as an example here who runs in my opinion like one of the best funds in the world yeah uh he's got a three three or three four three so three are absolute knock like killed it out of the park great investments the other four are meh maybe losing money, probably not going to become anything. And then the other three are zeros, absolute <laughs> zeros going nowhere, never became anything, became like you literally started money on fire. And that is their batting average. So they're, they're swinging, they're taking 10 massive swings and they're hoping to hit three. And if you hit three, you're one of the best batters. Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah, they're, like, that's they're good. good. Right? <laughs> and they, like, honestly, I'd say they're top 10 in the world. Um, you got Sequoia that you're competing against. Like, yeah. don't pretend to think that you're smarter than them because you're not. <laughs> they have the deepest Rolodex on the, on the planet. You have Silver Lake. You got Andreessen Horowitz. You have um, Saka. Um, you have Chamath that you're going up against at Social Capital. You have all mm. of these superstars that have billions upon billions and billions of dollars. With the, they know everybody. If they call the president, he'll listen. That's who you're going up against. So just realize that. Um, that's, I, you know, so in my job, I get a lot of people reaching out to me and asking if this is a good idea, whether or not they should be investing in this or this. And that's why one of my questions is always, uh, why, why you, why are they going after you? And uh, if they're not, if that's so great, why are they not taking money from somebody else? Right. So, I mean, but generally can I ask speaking, a, a quick question with that, like, but it, like, if you say, why are they going after me? It, it, at the beginning, though, it's very difficult to get anyone to believe totally. in anything, right? So, I mean, I would say if you're a true startup, that initial financing is so brutal. They're probably going after you because you might say yes. Is that not... Uh... Yeah, friends and family is always the first, right? Right, yeah. And um, that's not even considered seed capital. Right. right. That would be even before angel investing, I think. Fair enough. Right? So, um, mm-hmm. that would be a good understanding to have. I think it's, in my opinion, it's friends, family, seed or angel, and then seed and then all your rounds. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's kind of how like the good distinction. Yeah. The cap table is built. Um, But if you have somebody who's coming in and there's already been three rounds or two rounds or one round or whatever, there's already been friends and family. There's already been an angel came in and they're raising again. Why you? Right. Right. Um, So that's kind of where I'm coming to. In my opinion, if you're, if you're getting into this angel space, you better have $50 million or you better know a ton of people. Wow. Or you're in that, that smaller area where you, you, you feel like, I'm not telling people not to do this. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, when you're listening to all of these founder podcasts, all these billionaires, people that made it, um, those are people that, it's a lot of survivorship bias, man. Of course. So just think about all the people that probably get pitched at the bar. <laughs> and they give someone six grand or 10 grand or $25,000 and they never see it. That doesn't even come into the, the success stats, right? Mm-hmm. So that is, it's the same thing with flipping houses, man. You have all, it's like an 85 or 90% failure rate. Yeah. It's higher in, in startup. 
in the startup world. So just get a good feel for the company, get a good feel for the people before, because angel investing is not for the faint of heart. And if you don't have a 10 year time horizon on that money, don't do it. Do not do it because you're not going to get your money back that fast. So, and my one comment too, from like having gone through that process and raised, um, a decent chunk of change through my network, Mm -hmm. the people that I wanted to raise money from almost every single one of them added some sort of intrinsic value as well. Like, you know, Matt, for instance, you know, Matt was one of the investors in our pre-seed and, you know, he's running the podcast Mm -hmm. and coming on to help in, in, in bigger ways as we go forward. And, you know, that's the case with, I'd say 80% of the investors is they're still involved doing something. They're still part of the story. They're still helping propel, you know, our business and their investment forward. So that was super important to me when I was going out to raise money for my network. It wasn't just a casting call to like everyone that I know. It was, you know, who has been interested in this journey since day one, who can add value beyond $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 in the future. And that was super imperative for me. And I think we got really lucky in bringing on, you know, as I like to call it, like a small army of, you know, good lawyer supporters and good lawyer people that uh, help carry this business forward because it's so noisy today. And, you know, for a startup to kind of rise above and through that noise is super, super hard. And then that just brings me to what I want. I just wrote a note down that I want to touch on is I, I totally agree. 10 X better. Like if you're building a startup, it has to be. And again, what, what is 10 X? It's kind of, you know, a very subjective thought, but I think it resonates that it's gotta be way fucking better, like way better. And if it's not way better, then it's not going to work. Like if people aren't going to, aren't going to make the switch from what they're used to. So maybe you just touch on that a little more, what you kind of think about 10 X better. 10 X is kind of stolen from Grant Cardone, I think he he took it over. Right, he took it over. Um, He branded on all his planes and his crappy real estate investments. (laughs) But um, they, so the ten x thing isn't actually his. It's it's um, imprinted in other. It's kind of in the the ideology of of tech investing. And I kind of remember it from honestly like zero to one Peter Thiel. Exactly, I feel feel like that's where I that's that's what triggered for me too. Exactly. So zero to one is my absolute favorite business book of all time. Wow. Um, Peter Thiel is a God. I, I know he is, he, he's incredibly hard to understand as a person. You just, but he's a genius. Though. Oh my God. Yeah. He is, he's a savant. And yeah. the fact that he can hold his own with all of these intellectuals that he gets involved with and then thrive in the business world where he, he can take on some very difficult problems and navigate them. Yeah. Uh, he's a very interesting guy. So I really, while I don't necessarily agree with all of his political leanings and sure. perhaps I don't quite even understand what he's trying to do at, at a 30,000 foot level, I think he's great. And that's kind of where you're absolutely right. He comes from zero to one. And uh, the idea, <clears throat> obviously the idea of the book is the first step is the hardest step and then steps one to 10 are much, much easier. Um, but the 10 X better to me is is so imperative because people are so entrenched in what they traditionally do and they need to be the, the cart needs to be upset significantly in order for them to change their habits. Right. Mm -hmm. So especially when you're selling anything, anything you're always in sales and the best way to maybe bring this to people's brains is to, to think of taxis and Uber. 
And my parents were mm -hmm. thought of this as being just the most insane thing ever. Even Airbnb being like, what are you talking about? There's no freaking way I'm going to go and stay at somebody's house. They're like, what if they murder me? Totally. And then they go through this experience of using the, the, the convenience of going on the website, the, the ability to, to look through all of these different areas. The fact that houses can get closer to their attractions than the actual hotels can. The fact that they can, um, just rent out a smaller room because they don't need all of the amenities that come with a, with a four seasons. The fact that they are able to do it with like a more flexible date base. They were, they're also in addition able to um, experience it because it's 40% cheaper. Mm -hmm. All of this combines to an experience that worked out to being 10 times better. And what it does is it allows for you to scale without word of mouth. Right. right. We're, obviously, word of mouth is the most powerful thing in all business. If I didn't have word of mouth, mouth in mind, I wouldn't have a business. And, but I'm not scaling at the scale at the, the rate in which is needed for a lot of these, comp these tech companies that have a burn rate. If you're not profitable immediately, you need to have, be 10x better in order to get to scale so that you can make money, so that you mm -hmm. can charge more, so that you can justify the amount of work or the, the burn rate that you have. And Without that, you're dead on day one, unless of course you're comfortable with, you know what, we're not going to have any employees. We're not going to have the engineering staff. We're only going to, we're going to run insanely lean and we're going to make money out of the gate and do this slowly. And that's fine. You can do that, but that's not what has worked as of the last, for the last 15 years. Right? right. So that has been a, a drastic change in what used to be the way you built a business to today. And if you're not doing it that way today, well, it's a really difficult space to work in, right? So that's kind of my, that's the way I, I, I vision it myself. Um, yeah. It doesn't make me right. And obviously every person's different. Their experiences are different. What they think is more important is going to be different than mine. And uh, all I could say is read as much as you humanly possible before you do. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, when you were just talking there, I was just picturing, you know, the classic hockey stick chart and you only get that insane upward trajectory you know, when the hockey stick starts to take off with something that's 10 X better, you know, you can see that climb, that consistent climb with, with a, you know, an improvement, but you're never going to see that eruption of growth unless it's, you know, monumentally better than the status quo. Yeah. And, and calling a taxi now seems like crazy. Yeah, right, Ridiculous. You know? <laughs> it does. And you know what, that, that's, it's great because it, it's, it's inspired a bunch of businesses that are very similar to it. Um, it's allowing for you to utilize downtime in, in a asset that perhaps didn't get used when it should have been. So a great example of this would be lawyers that aren't working or perhaps <laughs> want to do on the side business, or they yeah. want to be able to service um, different clientele. Um, all of this is available, right? And, and you could even speak to all of the SaaS businesses inside of accounting that, you know what, just make this easier for me to do instead of making it so difficult for me to, uh, to, to deal with my accountant, right? So right. Um, I know that my experience with uh, working with lawyers has always been um, scary. And I'm somebody who considers himself comfortable around professionals, but I still don't like the idea of having to get into a nice 
uh, get into a suit or dress nicely, get into my car, drive to their office. When I get into their office, I feel like they're probably already charging me. Did yeah. I pay, <laughs> did I pay for the $3 coffee? Was it three bucks? It might've been five. I get into their office. I know I'm on the clock now. So now it's like $450 an hour. And yeah. this guy is insanely smart and really handsome. I don't know what anything that he's saying. I don't know what's going on. Now I'm, I'm close to him. I want to make this fast because it's 450 bucks and I'm just starting his company and what else are you charging me for right now? And then you leave there and you were, you were sweating. You felt <laughs> like you just, you're not you too sure ask, what happened. You don't even know what happened. Like you think that you agreed to something, but did you? And then he's, he's going to send you the contract when he's done doing it. And then you get home and seven days later, something shows up in your email. There's a bill for eight grand and you're on your way. It was, it's just like a terrible, terrible experience, right? Whereas there's room for a ton of room for making it feel more um, organic and more mm -hmm. enjoyable. Like you're, you're going and doing something that isn't scary. Right. Yeah. And if you can break down that, it would allow, like, I remember reading one of your guys' decks where you stated that something like 71% of uh, legal work doesn't get done because people don't want to talk to lawyers in general. Like they just don't, they just avoid it altogether. 77. 77. Like <laughs> yeah. what? And, and then, is, you know, touching on your, your, the supply and the, the capacity, you know, your Airbnb example, opening up the box to this whole new, you know, supply base for vacation rentals, the lawyers, that was the, the big realization for me when I was back in law school was lawyers have so much extra capacity. You know, it doesn't feel like that if you're an associate in a big shop and you're just getting funneled to work incessantly for, you know, every day of the year for 365. But for the vast majority of lawyers, and especially the ones in the smaller shops who make up the majority of our profession, they spend two thirds, three quarters of their week trying to find work and run their business. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, there's this huge divide that maybe a platform could help with. Oh yeah. If you could, if you just had, I mean, leads are always the hardest thing to grab and get right. And, um, especially in a transactional business, all you have to look at is lemonade for insurance. Mm. Lemonade is booming. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And I just, there's so much room for that sort of platform business in, in services, professional yeah. services. The, per, the professions, especially, I couldn't agree more. Cause oh, to your point, like a name, name a profession, they've traditionally been a little bit unpleasant to deal with and lawyers are probably right at the top of that heap. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm I, right I, below you. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, it's, you're right. It's intimidating. Like going to money people for sure. You're it's an intimidating process. You have no idea what's going on. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I know that I've personally, had that same experience going to financial advisors and feeling a little bit helpless, which is not a fun feeling. No, it's absolutely not. And you know what? Money, legal issues, all of those things are not something you like to talk about, you know? And the only people that like to talk about money are people that are lying about it or they um, have a lot of it, mm -hmm. right? And generally speaking, that's... Um, kind of where a lot of professional services live. And it's just, it's, it's an area of our lives. It's the most intimate area of our lives, law, accounting, money, all of those things. And if you can make it feel um, just more enjoyable and less like an area in which people aren't terrified to, to talk about, 
It's kind of like what, what, what there's always these tweets that are like, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, or normalize this or normalize that. And they're, they're talking about, I don't know, like, <laughs> like the WAP song most recently. Oh, anyway, right. and it's just, you know what? It's good because if you can make people willing to talk about um, like normalize mental health issues, you know, mm. if you can make mm. it so that it's okay to talk about that in an open environment, you're, right. if you're providing that service, it's going to be good for you, your business, and then also the people that need it, right? There shouldn't be 77% of, of, of legal issues going unresolved or un, un, like without Met, service yeah. because people are scared. It's the same, I guarantee the stats only higher for mental health where people mm. don't, they don't go, they go unserviced, right? Psychologists need to talk to you guys. You guys should have a platform for psychologists. Oh, buddy, I come from a house full of psychologists and uh, good psychs coming next, don't you worry. <laughs> um, but the one thing I wanted to touch on though, and this stemmed from a bunch of customer calls that I was doing yesterday with Tom, who's our CPO. And you know, I always knew that we were trying to build Goodler to make it more affordable for business owners and you know, um, easier, more accessible. But I didn't fully grasp until pretty recently and the customer calls yesterday really kind of solidified it. This idea of like helping, helping people approach lawyers with confidence. That's right. You know, like when I go to the doctor, I don't feel like I need to be confident to do that. I just go to the doctor, I'm a passenger, they look at me and then I, you know, carry on my way. But there is like this fear associated with going to a lawyer a fear because you don't really know always why you're going. You're worried about getting screwed and charged from the second you leave, you know, get there. So there's this weird fear associated with getting this really important service, especially for business owners. Um, and I'm, it's really kind of like shaping how I'm thinking about good lawyer and really trying to instill this confidence, which we're trying to do primarily through education. You know, we're doing, we put up content, we do web, free webinars. And I think that on its own, is a good step forward because people can just get a little bit more familiar with the world of law, which, you know, whether it's been intentional or unintentional by my profession has been, you know, kept pretty, pretty tight and quite a black box. So, yeah, I think that honestly, if you could go to, if you could go to Netflix and tell them to make a, a TV show that isn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't show lawyers in a or similar to how Harvey comes across where you're like, okay, that guy's hot. He's like way too well-dressed that if I go into that office, I'm going to immediately feel like the stupidest person in the world. Totally. Um, yeah. If I could, if you could, if you could bring it back to a episode of Grey's Anatomy where you have all these people wearing white coats and they're wearing blue scrubs and <laughs> they're, they're running around trying to save lives. Instead, you have these other people that are literally trying to ruin ev the other person's life the whole time and make things worse for their enemy and fight, fight, fight. Yeah. If, if that wasn't the story being told in the media and in, in our culture, we might have a law profession that has a, less of a, a, a brash you say it less less douchey it's okay yeah less douchey. <laughs> it's no different for me man it's literally no different for me you watch billions and you just literally hate all of them right and right. so um that's i think quite honestly as much as it's the 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 issues that you're tackling don't lend itself to being to, to coming across in the same way that perhaps uh medical the medical industry gets to solve problems that are life dependent or health dependent. You guys are solving generally really bad things. But I mean, if you could paint it as, yeah, you used to have this problem, now you don't. 
things yeah. are great. And they're, so, they're problems that need solving, right? So yeah, well, and I, I, honestly, I think with our, you know, newfound focus on like the entrepreneur, the startup, the small business owner as like who we're trying to service with good lawyer. Um, it is a lot more optimistic than that. You know, it's not, yeah. a, it's not just like, yeah, I need to put out this fire or, you know, I'm getting screwed. It's, you know, I'm trying to build something new. I'm trying to build something, um, to progress my life forward. And, you know, law is one of those stepping stones and often at multiple points during the journey that you need. And, you know, that's really the angle that we're trying to take with a lot of our messaging today is like, law is an opportunity for you to build something great. And, you know, we make it easy and friendly and approachable and, uh, you know, ultimately, hopefully we're 10 X better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Joel. Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. So look, I, you know, I just glanced up at the time and I, I see that we're beyond our one hour, uh, limit here. And, uh, what, what, what we, what we promised you that time flies when you're having fun, apparently, but, uh, before we let you go here, um, and, and any last comments there, Brett, that you want to get in or are you, uh, are you satisfied? No, I think it's been great. I think, uh, just getting Joel to pontificate about his investment experience. You know, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of Joel's podcast, Reform yes. Millennials. It's, yeah. it's literally like talk reading two seconds, the weekly yeah. financial paper. Like that's Joel's voice in my ears. So, uh, you know, it was great to have you spouting some of that wisdom on uh, the Good Lord Show. We really yeah. appreciate you being but, here today. Yeah. And, be, and before you go, though, we do. And this is a question we ask to all of our guests and maybe especially in, in light of uh, our discussions around angel investing and early startup investing are there any resources or favorite resources that you have books podcasts blogs those types of things that you think would be of interest to our listeners and i know that you're a very well-read human being and you've already mentioned a couple books which we'll definitely put in the show notes but yeah just any favorite resources that you find yourself going to that you think would be helpful to others yeah. So I'm not going to, I think a lot of people always reference books and generally speaking, I think books are difficult to consume because they're, I mean, it takes a long time. Not everybody right. is as good of, as fast of a reader as, as Mr. Colvin over there, but um, <laughs> audible buddy. I just listen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I actually have to point to a few newsletters. So I can, I can rattle off a couple that I read. I read them every single day in my mailbox. I get 12, um, so they're my favorite, something that's quite new <clears throat> and all they do is they break down S ones, which is IPOs is called the generalist. They're fantastic. I can't recommend them enough. Alex Danko, uh, another guy who writes a newsletter that is must read for all Canadians. He's out of Toronto, works for, um, Shopify now in, on their money side. I think he's one of, like up there. If not, I think, believe, I believe he runs Shopify money. Uh, another I know that this is one of Brock's favorites. He's my podcast ho- uh, co-host, Benedict Evans. His newsletter is a must-read. Um, outside of that, everything's kind of mostly finance-based that I'm reading. But a lot of those guys will address upcoming trends in markets. So even if you're starting a company, to investing in a company, or to looking at stuff in public markets, these people are just identifying underlying trends in uh, just our society and culture. And they will explain it in a way that will give you an understanding that you're not going to get reading a book that was written four years ago. So these people Mm -hmm. are giving their, obviously their bias based on their past experience. But to me, these are the people that I go to and I trust. 
And I, I think that those three, if you can, if you start reading those three on a weekly basis, you're going to be in a good place to expand. And I'll, I'll add one more that I think you would agree with uh, is Scott Galloway, who I absolutely love. Uh, and he's kind of more of that generalist that you were talking about, a great person to read. He comes out with a once a week newsletter that kind of highlights the trends and uh, has some, a couple of great podcasts too, that uh, I like listening to that uh, seem to help me out and keep on top of things. Oh yeah. I can't honestly, I, for whatever reason, he, he wrote this book called Algebra of Happiness that for a, a young 20-something boy like myself, <laughs> after reading it, it was, I've never identified with somebody more than I did with him. Single mother, uh, very humble beginnings who got really, really lucky, who's quite honestly not that spectacular, but I don't know, just keeps on swinging, but also went through some rough times, had some like... I mean, I'm not necessarily having the exact same issues as right. him, but just as a as a, a man going from like 18 to, in his case, 50, he kind of, he, he maps it all out and explains how he got to where he is. And there's so many different parts of that book that he wrote. And it I read it in a night and now I've read it three times, but he has like where he, he, he was challenged with drinking and then he was challenged with um, working in finance where he didn't find any I don't know, it didn't really, it didn't work with him. And then he went back to, or then he went to Stanford and got lucky to get into there and he lied his way into Stanford. And then he, now he's a professor at NYU. And he's just, he's got all these interesting experiences that I think almost every young guy can identify with. And I, I just love him. I think he's yeah. fantastic. He's, he's off the cuff. He's, he's brash, but he, he means what he says and he's, he's honest. Super transparent. Yeah. You, you give me some Scott Galloway vibes, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely do. Absolutely. Oh, thanks. That's so, a- so final question here, and, and obviously we'll, we'll mention this in the intro and everything else, but you host a, and are part of a fantastic podcast yourself called the reform millennials, which I highly recommend everyone to go listen to. It's how I keep up and uh, with a lot of what's going on. And also you get, you take a Canadian perspective, which is difficult to find, uh, in many places. So it's greatly appreciated that people like you are carrying that torch, but where else can people find you if they're, if they're looking to either follow you or get in touch? Uh, at Joel Shackleton on Twitter. Uh, same thing with Instagram. I can't re- just please come and check out my, my Facebook group. It's just starting. Well, it's two years old now, but I'd love to have new members where I post my thoughts, ideas, kind of, I, I want to say that it's it's kind of me trying to parse through the news and, and post what I think is interesting. If I see an S1 that I read through that I thought was was uh, of value, or I think that people that um, are interested in what I think might also like to hear about, I'll post it in there. If there's a piece of news in, in, in Canada that I think needs explaining, perhaps it's pipelines, perhaps it's... Um, uh, whether or not we actually need a pipeline east or west or south, right. um, explaining how they work. I do all of that in this group and we discuss it on our podcast. And if, if you're interested in any sort of financial advice, you can always reach out to me as well, jshackleton at gold.im.com. So um, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a blast. I love chatting with you guys. Uh, awesome. Matt, yeah. Brett, it's wicked. Absolute pleasure, my friend. And honestly, for any listeners, I really can't recommend it enough. I listen to their podcast every week. It is uh, unfiltered. I don't always agree with what Joel says. I catch myself talking out loud. But uh, (laughs) honestly, he has has unbelievable insights and gets me thinking about things I wouldn't otherwise. So thank you, Joel. And sorry, and just to clarify, that Facebook group is the Reform Millennials Facebook group, or is that your personal one? 
drop the the reform millennials reform yeah. millennials got it yeah. perfect uh awesome well thanks again really appreciate stick online here we'll say a proper goodbye but thanks so much for coming on thanks guys appreciate it yes thanks again to joel for being on this week's episode if you liked what you heard please rate download and subscribe until next time we hope you have a great week